Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey, welcome to the latest episode of the Andy J Podcast. I hope you are having a fantastic day or evening middle of the night, whatever time you're listening to this show. If you're listening in real time, it's the middle of July 2021 and I'm about to play you a conversation that I had just last week with one of the nation's favourite actors, the brilliant Michael Sheen, a man who I have admired for such a long time because he gets some of the coolest roles and just does them amazingly well. In fact, Michael is a guy who has been brought in to play real-life individuals on a number of occasions as well. Brian Clough, Tony Blair, Chris Tarrant, Tony Blair twice in fact, David Frost. He's a master of his art. He's also a fascinating guy. I was really keen to know if he was anything like the character that he portrays, which is of himself in staged, the show that he did during lockdown with David Tennant, where they basically filmed themselves chatting to each other and getting longer hair and progressively more frustrating. And I was sort of intrigued to know if he was going to be that guy or not in real life because it turns out that he and I have sort of not necessarily met each other before but we've been in the same space because we've been on a football field together not on the same team from uh, from what I'm told I have only the haziest of memories of it nonetheless he's just a legend and I mean the shows he's been in the good fight staged quiz good omens masters of sex frost nixon the queen prodigal son I could keep going he's won all the awards for everything theatre, television, movies, he's just, he's brilliant. So let me stop waffling. I will tell you, we have another episode of the Andy J Podcast ready for you, locked and loaded, ready to go tomorrow with the brilliant Fern Britton. And wow, what a story she has to share. We've got a a good hour with Fern uh, coming your way tomorrow. So do subscribe so you don't miss that, please. But right now, just enjoy Michael Sheen. The Andy J Podcast. Now, I am so, so excited to be chatting to my next guest. He is a man who has, well, when it comes to theatre, he has been in literally everything and won every awards. See also television and movies. He's one of the nation's favourite. He's my hero. It's Michael Sheen. How are you doing, Michael? <laughs> well, never have I been introduced as well as that. So thank you very much, Andy. <laughs> I like to start high and then I crash out, Michael. That's, that's how Could I do you- it. Could you follow me around everywhere or, in fact, enter rooms before me and do that every time just to let people know? That would be fantastic. I could be your official Toastmaster. Yes. Why don't we have things like that anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, that could be a lot of fun. Michael, randomly, I was reminded by a friend of mine who was saying, oh, who are you interviewing next? I was like, oh, Michael Sheen. You and I have played against each other in a celebrity tournament football thing many moons ago, like about 100, maybe 200 years ago. Oh, wait, yes, just before football was actually invented. Exactly that. Um, 
Did, uh, did we? Uh, how did? What was the score? How did we do? Now, I, that's the trouble. My memory and all the rest of it. All I can remember is that, that Luther Blissett and Ian Rush were there as well somehow. Good Lord. I, I can't remember how or why, and oh. and. And I do have a strange memory. I think Ben Shepherd was there as well. And I have a strange memory that you were sensationally good. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to say, I was going to say, if you can't remember it, then uh, I scored a hat trick and was <laughs> so declared man of the match. Yeah, well, yeah, I was yeah, also man of the match and had two hat tricks <laughs> from defence. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that is something. So I, look, I know we're going to talk about a writing chance, and I'm excited about that. But mm. I, just a few words about you before we jump into it, if that's okay. I mean, yeah. on yeah. the football thing, you actually mm. you had the opportunity to be a professional. Well, when I was younger, you know, I was I peaked at twelve, and I'm not joking. I really <laughs> did peak at twelve. I was a very, very good sort of you know ten, eleven, twelve year old player, um, and uh, and I got yeah, I got asked to sort of go down to Arsenal and and be part of the youth team and all that kind of stuff and I had a few trials and things but then um, but, you know at 12 leaving for Talbot and going to live in London wasn't really an option um, and uh, and so then by about 13, 14 started to get into the acting more and I mean talk about precarious profession I mean acting's got nothing on being a professional football player I, think, I mean the amount of people actually are able to make it at that level so I think you know I think I made well, I didn't make the choice, but, you know, the choice was made for me, but it was the right choice, definitely. You know, I've been able to go on and have a career uh, in acting that's, you know, gone all right, um, but also can keep going beyond, you know, when you're in your mid-30s. I mean, it's sort of amazing watching the Euros and seeing, you know, players who are, was it Modic? It was like in mid-late 30s Luka, or something. Yeah, Luka Modric is 35. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's... It's unbelievable seeing how they can do that. Well, and, um, and Teddy Sheringham, I mean, I had him on the show last uh, week. He scored, he's the oldest player in the Premier League to have scored. So he was 40, 40 years and 200 odd days old I scoring mean, in the Premier League. So it's a pretty it's pretty long career, that one. I mean, it's amazing. But, uh, you know, as an actor, I was only really hitting my stride at 40, you know. So um, so that it, it shows the the difference in in pathways there, really, yeah. Yeah, I mean, football's interesting, isn't it, though. I mean, in, I'm, I'm just thinking in light of, you know, what we're going to talk about with the, the, the Writing Chance project. But football is a funny one because, you know, for a lot of professions, particularly in the kind of arts and stuff like that and media and all that, you, you know, it's really important to have examples of people who come from your background. You know, you need, you need to, you, you know, to have the confidence to think that it could happen for you. You sort of need to have people who have done it from where you come from or in your family or, you know, examples that you can kind of aspire towards and there needs to be a pathway and, you know, you need to know how to go about pursuing that kind of thing. With football, though, it's it's sort of quite democratic, isn't it, really? Because, I mean, you know, pretty much every kid is playing football um, and you've got local teams, you've got this network of teams everywhere and, you know, people will start to hear about a player if they've got something to them and, you know, and there's all these. There is this kind of amazing network, and uh, and, and in, in a way, it's the opposite. Every kid thinks they can be a professional. <laughs> you know, I did, as opposed to you know doing things like acting or writing or whatever. It, it's it's a bit the reverse of that, really. It's very hard to know how to go about it. There's not. You know, I was talking to someone this morning who said, "Yeah, there are no writers on my council estate," so I didn't really know how to go about it. She said, "It's like it's like wanting to be an astronaut." Um, yeah. And it and it is true, but football's kind of different, isn't it? You're so right. Yes, and 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 by the way, masterfully 
manoeuvred a random subject about a, about a charity football match. I, 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 wasn't, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to manoeuvre it. It just suddenly occurred to me that I'm thinking that, about it. That was excellent, nonetheless, Michael. I mean, I, 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 I have sort of a golf clap of approval there. That was, <laughs> have you thought about hosting your own show? Because you can, you can handle these interviews like an excellent pro. I mean, I'm, a, I'm assuming you've picked this up from, of course, the time when, uh, when you were David Frost. He would have, he would have been well, able to transition exactly. like that. Exactly, yes. Uh, my days as David Frost, David. <laughs> Great. I, could, uh, I mean, I could have you. been Tarrant as well, actually. What is, uh, and by the way, I'm not moving us away from a writing chance, but while we're on, to, while yeah, we're on yeah, this yeah, sideline yeah. here, uh, what yeah. is it with you playing real-life people and doing it amazingly? Well, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because mo- most people assume that I was you know, one of those kids at school who were doing impersonations of the teachers. and other, I, mean, I wasn't at all. I never... I, I was never able to do anything like that. I, I, you know, that wasn't something that I was known for at all. It was what happened was that once when my um, my oldest daughter Lily, when she was a little kid, you know, we'd watch films that she was, you know, cartoon films and stuff, whatever the Disney films or the Pixar films or whatever, and you know, read books and stuff. And then she would, and then she would want us to be the characters. She'd take, you know, so if we watched. Um, you know, whatever it might be. Like, I remember Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. She wanted, she wanted to be Snow White, and I'd have to be all Seven Dwarfs. Of course. And so I'd have to come up with the voices and all that kind of stuff. And then I, I remember, and because she was not judgmental, she became quite judgmental later. Because <laughs> <laughs> she used to say, no, don't do the voices anymore, Daddy. But there was, a period, there was a window of opportunity where she, was just, she just enjoyed it. And I started to realize that I could sound like the voices of the characters from the, from the films, you know, whether it was... Uh, uh, Monsters Inc. or whatever, and I was like, "Oh, that's quite good, actually. I quite sound like it." So then, not long after that, um, I was asked because uh, the first thing I did playing a real person was Tony Blair in a thing called The Deal um, about him and Gordon Brown. And um, so when that came up, I wasn't, you know, I might, otherwise I might have thought, "Well, I'm not going to be able to do that. I can't play a real person." But because I was quite good at doing at doing the voices of the kids' things. I thought, yeah, maybe I can do that. So it gave me a little bit of the confidence to do it. I love it. And then I think once once we did that, we did the deal, and then it was the same team, um, producers and directors, Stephen Frears and everyone, who and the writer, Peter Morgan, obviously, um, who did The Queen as well. Yeah. And then that was a big hit, you know. So then I became a little bit of a sort of go-to person for, for real people, a little bit. But then, and, and then once I did, you know, David Frost and Brian Clough, you know, then it just, you know, every real person was suddenly fodder for me, <laughs> as, as far as other people thought. I was terrified every time. I never thought, I mean, with every single one and including up to Chris Tarrant, I always think this has been a terrible mistake. People are not going to accept me as this person. It's going to be awful. And I'm always genuinely um, relieved, surprised and thrilled when people take me seriously. I love that. And of course, you've got all this to enjoy again, second time round, because Lyra, she'll be what, two in September? Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you've got That's a whole right. new frame of reference. I mean, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is, is she's had her day. I mean, the, the, there's there's a lot of new wow. movies and TV that you're going to have to get yeah. into. That's true. I mean, I just watching the TV shows has been, I, 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 there's a show called Moon, uh, Moon and Me. Yes. Which is now one of my favorite shows on television. With Moonbeam. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 
and uh, uh, Nick Cope's podcast. I mean, these are these are fantastic shows. That are I've got there, to say but, though, Michael, he comes up with the podcast far too quickly. That's it. That podcast is <laughs> you know it's unrealistic for my boys watching it. They can't just write a song in it's three so sentences. It does make, it is bringing up a generation of children who think that writing pop songs is really easy. Yeah, yeah. I know, I'll just but call my grandson, he'll give me a line, yeah. and there's my hit. <laughs> as long as you've got a dog who can uh, push the uh, full power on the pop cars, um, yeah, then you're going to be all right. But he is brilliant. I mean, those songs, I, I'm singing those songs to myself constantly now. Oh, I mean, is, the, baby, is, the baby's done a poo. Is gonna, a just can you do a quick rendition of the baby's done a poo for me? Because this is going to change my my parenting forevermore. Because I have to listen to these on repeat at the moment too. Oh, they're so great! I love them. I love Nick Kobe. He's just brilliant. Round yeah. of applause. But for yeah, the yeah, a whole a whole new lot. I'm looking forward to you know. Lyra's not watching the films yet, um, uh, but once she does, I am looking forward to. To, to having the excuse to watch children's films again because that's ultimately what it was. I love watching the films and I've just not had an excuse to do it for a little while. Well, you can always watch without telling anyone, Michael. I mean, that's, nah, that's, true. that's always allowed. Yeah. Yeah, can I have a yeah. lightning? I just want to sense check something with you, Michael. And this might be hokum <clears throat> because you can never really trust the internet. But if, it's, if this is true, I love it. Is it, is it <clears throat> true that your dad was a part-time yeah. Jack Nicholson lookalike? My dad was the number one Jack Nicholson lookalike in the world. Yes. For I would say a sp- uh, for a, probably a period of about ten years. Whoa. Um, yeah. He uh, he was doing it for longer than that, but I wouldn't say he was the number one for that long. But he was uh, when the first Tim Burton Batman film came out. Um, it just weirdly coincided with a period in his life where he really looked like Jack Nicholson. So people started coming up to him in the street and saying, and he was quite offended at first. He, he, he was, he did, he, A, didn't know who Jack Nicholson was. He had a suspicion that he was a golfer. Right. Um, and, um, and, and was also a little bit upset that people kept coming up to him and saying he looked like someone. He was uh, sort of a bit freaked out by it. And then we had a word with him. And then, um, and then he, he um, got work at our local cinema in Patalbert, uh, standing outside the cinema when the audience was queuing up to see Batman, and he would pretend to be a waxwork oh, of Jack right. Nicholson and then jump out at people. That was his first gig as Jack Nicholson. And then he entered a competition uh, in uh, one of the national newspapers that was saying, do you look like the Joker or Jack Nicholson? And he won it, and he got an agent. And then he started working all over the world. That's amazing. Did he often amazing. get home and say, "Here's Daddy," or was that was that too much? <laughs> um, listen, what I, I've always said, what he lacked in specificity, he made up for in commitment. <laughs> he he has never he has never given any less than one hundred and fifty percent to what he's doing. But um, his ability to sound or act like Jack Nicholson, uh, you know, maybe was lagging behind his commitment to the cause. <laughs> Oh, what a shit. So he wouldn't be able to do those uh, those video things that you could now pay for, you know, get a celebrity for 40 quid or something to say happy birthday to you. And there's the lookalike version as well for like a tenner less than the original. He, he would be no good at those then. Well, I don't know. I mean, you get you get your money's worth from, with my dad. I mean, not anymore. He doesn't do it anymore. But um, it, you sir, he's, he's what it, uh, we know at home as a character. <laughs> so you, you, you always get your money's worth no matter what. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wonderful. I love it. I love it. Michael, let's talk a writing chance. We've touched on it a couple of times, mm. but we haven't actually gone down this rabbit hole yet. And it, I really love the sound of this. It, it's essentially greater inclusivity, isn't it, in the media? And you are co-funding this, and there's a bunch of other people that have joined you. But it's much better for you to explain it to me. You've found 11 wonderful new writers and new voices. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, it's, a, it's a, 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 an initiative which is to find and support aspiring writers and journalists um, from underrepresented and low-income backgrounds. That's essentially it. Um, the idea being that, you know, we tell, we have a national conversation, you know, where, whether it's through our newspapers, uh, you know, through uh, books that are written, fiction, nonfiction, you know, our arts and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, certain groups are massively overrepresented. For instance, in journalism, almost half of uh, 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 journalists, uh, columnists, have been to private school, and about a third have, uh, have been privately educated and have gone to Oxbridge. Um, so, whereas only one one percent of the general population is that true of. So there's a massive overrepresentation there. Seventy five percent of 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 journalists. Um, have come from sort of the higher social classes. So, you know, just in journalism, if, if, if people are setting the agenda of what we talk about, the conversation we have as a country, then it's sort of like saying, you know, there's a room full of people and you want to find out what's going on in the room, but you only ask the people at one end around the buffet. Mm. Well, you're not going to get a really good idea of what's going on in the room um, unless you unless everybody's point of view and experience is kind of represented in some way. So, we want to, and you know, I don't think anybody really wants a society where people don't have the same chances and opportunities. I think we all, you know, we all know that we'll benefit from that ultimately as a as a nation, as a society. So, you know, this initiative is to try and um, first of all find people out there who who are not coming through, whose voices aren't being heard as much, and then um, to give them the support and the uh, the opportunities and the platform to to have. Uh, their work developed and, and, you know, they get a mentor, they get a one-on-one -on -one mentoring, they get a bursary, uh, money to support them through the project. They get their work um, uh, broadcast or, or, or published um, in the autumn in, on national platforms. Um, and they'll be able to have um, uh, uh, insight events where they go to places where hopefully they'll be working, like newsrooms publishing houses and be able to, you know, find out how it works and, and, and what they, uh, what they could expect. And then there's a research part to the project as well, which Northumbria University is, is doing, uh, Professor Katie Shaw, and she'll be looking at their experience, the experiences of those 11 finalists that we got out of hundreds upon hundreds of, of submissions. Um, and she'll be looking at being able to do the research to find out what was it that was getting in the way for them and what is it that has helped. So that then at the end of this project, we can use what we found out and learn from that, from those 11 people, to hopefully help the thousands of people who are out there who have got amazing stories to tell from points of view that we very rarely hear from. Yeah, that's terrific. And actually, I've had a look at the biographies of the 11. Have you met all 11 writers? No, not yet. I, I will be, uh, you know, over the next uh, period of time. Um, but I was just talking to one of our uh, finalists this morning, and she was saying something. Uh, it was just fantastic. She said, uh, I said, so what, you know, when you were, because she said that she she had been writing, she'd basically been telling stories to her children. She'd written stories for her children. She has six children, um, and um, but the, but taking that step of of having other people read what you're doing, and I said, so you know, did you ever have a sense of how you might be able to move into actually doing this as a as a career or or as a living to take that next step? And she said, no, it was like 
it was like thinking I wanted to be an astronaut. I mean, there was just mm-hmm. she said, "There's nobody, there's nobody on my council estate who, who's a writer." Um, and and so it, you know, just hearing from people, you get a really a really clear sense of of what it's like um, if you don't have the network that you can be a part of. You don't have people in your kind of community who are who, who are, are doing it already, or people who have come from your background. And, and, uh, and are out there as, as um, examples. It, 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 you know, you just don't know where to begin. No, exactly. And 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 how excellent that these now have a voice. Because I mean, looking at their biographies, admittedly, they're they're short form biographies, so you you never get the sense mm. of the person properly. But you get the, the sort of very basic overview. And each one of them not only clearly has a very distinctive voice and a very direct story to tell, but they're mm. they are so different. They're oh, yeah. such individuals. They, it sounds fantastic. Yeah, I mean, whether you know, it's, they're from all over the country, obviously. So you know, geographically, it's incredibly diverse. But in terms of their their experiences, their life experiences, what they've been dealing with, you know, we've got uh, people who have been carers, um, and so you know, they've they've been unable to to have the time, you know, let alone know how to go about it, but to to pursue their writing up until now. We've got people who. Um, you know, like there's one a brilliant piece that was written um, uh, by a guy called David who um, uh, was, you know, essentially thrown out of his house at 16 for uh, his sexuality. And then as a 50 year old man came back to live with his parents again during the pandemic because they were, you know, so vulnerable mm-hmm. and writes about that experience in a way that is both incredibly moving and funny. Um, and, you know, so uh, there's another piece that was that really kind of knocked me sideways uh, that a woman wrote who uh, is a wheelchair user and she was talking about how the experience over the last year has been one where she hasn't had to deal with non-consensual touch as much so she's actually found it a relief uh, and has had the space to kind of write about what she's experienced because she said you know often it goes there's a uh, it goes from one extreme of being you know people who think that they're helping someone in a wheelchair and just you know don't wait to be uh, told yes or no, they just do it and thinking that they're doing the right thing to other people who use the excuse of helping someone in a wheelchair to, you know, sexually abuse them. I mean, that was, that's a, that's an, that's a point of view that I have never heard before, you know, and, and it's like a, a a veil being lifted on a, on a sort of experience that, you know, we should know about. Um, So that, you know, it's the, 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 the range of experiences and the range of voices, you know, to someone who I was speaking to this morning who wrote about how she's been growing tomatoes during the pandemic. Now, you'd think that wouldn't make for a brilliant piece necessarily, but it's the way you write about it and how you bring things into it that, that makes the difference. I, there was one piece that was written, um, which was the first thing that this particular man had ever written that was uh, based on, you know, that was his own life that wasn't fiction in some way. And he wrote about how he lost his mum, the, the death of his mum during the pandemic. And I mean, not only was it one of the best pieces of writing in this project, it's one of the best pieces of writing I've ever come across. It just, I read it again last night just because I wanted to read all the finalist stuff again last night before talking about it today. And I, I just absolutely devastates me. I mean, just knocked me apart again to read it. The, the, the power of these voices, those kind of honesty of it and, the, uh, and what it's showing, because it's not just obviously about writing about coming from a working class background or whatever it might be. It's the fact that it's this voice. Yes. You know, it's the voice of someone with these experiences writing about whatever they're writing about. It could, it could be anything. That's um, it. it's, it's just fantastic and, and goes beyond all my expectations when I first started putting this project together of, 
you know, what I hoped it could be. I absolutely love the sound of this and I, I can't wait to read the pieces myself. How can we find out more, Michael? What's the, uh, what's the details for this? Well, the simplest thing is you can go to writingchance.co.uk um, and there, if you're someone who is an aspiring writer yourself, you'll find all kinds of resources there that could help you, point you in the right direction, give you a bit of, uh, uh, of help and guidance around what the next steps are that you can do, what you can get involved with. Um, and, but also, if you're someone who's already out there doing it uh, or part of an organization and you want to get on board and, and find out what you can do to help other people, um, you can find out uh, there as well. So writingchance.co.uk is the, is the best way to, to get involved. That's brilliant. And Michael, as for you, we can currently see you, we can see you on telly right now in Prodigal Son. Stage season yep. two is just finished. Do we need another lockdown for season three? Is that, you know... <laughs> I would be a bit extreme to go into another lockdown just to have another series of states, I think. So let's hope not. <laughs> it was an absolute joy. But the last one, of course, is that you are currently, right in the here and now, performing at mm. the theatre, something that seemed so unlikely That's just right. a few weeks ago, Under Milk Wood yeah. at the Olivia Theatre. What's it like being back in front of an audience? It's been, it's been amazing. It's been both kind of thrilling and terrifying <laughs> um, to, be, you know, to be part of opening up the Olivia Theatre at the National um, you can see how much it meant to the people who work at the theatre, you know, to have actors and cr- crew and staff, you know, front of house staff coming in for the first time in over a year. Um, you could see how much it meant to, to, for them to have that. But then to have audiences coming in as well, just amazing. For me personally as well, you know, I have been on stage in front of a live audience for 10 years. Gosh. I did Hamlet 10 years ago. So, you know, that, that added terror for me. And then, the, you know, the, the, the immense, privilege and honor of being able to do this play you know it's such an iconic play for for wales and for for welsh people you know the the, the voice of richard burton doing under milk wood is more familiar than the voice of some family members you know for most welsh people um and uh so the, the honor of being able to reopen the olivier with this play with a welsh company um is again both a, a huge honor but also terrifying <laughs> so it's been great the fact that people have been so lovely about it and been so positive about it is is a huge relief um, and it's just a joy to go out and do it yes the reviews and to share share stories together again I you know bet, between performers and audience it's just yeah. brilliant the reviews are glowing were you nervous did you think have i forgotten how to act did you think can oh, i do I was, this i said the thing i was most terrified of was remembering it you know <laughs> ah. i mean it's a massive part when I, I, people need to remember when richard burton and dylan thomas did it they read it they didn't have to learn it. I've had to learn it. Um, it's a huge part. It's like doing tongue twisters for most of it. Um, so I was terrified whether I would be able to remember it all because, you know, I, I'm getting on in years now. The memory is not quite what it was. So it You're does 52. get harder. That's not old. <laughs> but, well, you know, it, it gets harder to remember this stuff. Um, so I was, I, was, I was very scared about that more than anything else, really. Um, and uh, uh, so, it, 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 you know, so that, in a way, that helped because, just trying to remember it took, you know, took my focus away from being terrified about the play actually opening. Um, but uh, it, 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 now that I have got it all in my head, though, it's um, it's just an amazing piece of writing. It's such a, uh, such a, it, it's such a kind of exciting joy to just say those words. You know, in fact, Dylan Thomas, there's a phrase in one of his poems which is the color of saying. And, uh, you know, it doesn't get more colourful, really, than, uh, than, than his writing. So it's been just brilliant to do. 
I love it. And I love that you've cited Richard Burton because, as you say, what a voice. I mean, mm. most people in the UK will know him from, the, obviously, all the movies he did, but that that opening line in War of the Worlds, mm. you know? Oh, yeah. Where he, no, one, oh. no one would have believed yes, the last part of the last century. <sighs> Mine's immeasurably superior to ours. All of that, yeah. All of that. I was hoping you'd do That's all. Oh. surely... They drew their plans against us. I was very, I very, was very fortunate that I got to go to Jeff Wayne's studio. Jeff Wayne, who wrote yes, uh, the War musical of, of yeah. War of the Worlds, yeah. that Richard Byrne did. Um, I got to do um, a new version of War of the Worlds uh, uh, in his studio with the original music and all that. And I did the the, the part that Richard Byrne played, which was ah oh, fantastic because that album was is one of my favourites of all time. Um, and to get to go, and, I, I, and in his studio, he was able to do that thing that, um, you know, at the mixing desk and play me the original recordings and oh. isolate certain things and all that. Oh, it was like a dream come true for that. That would be fantasy land. And just it just when they go, or whatever it is, I can't do yeah. it. Obviously, I can't do it. Bula. That's the sound of the Martian. Yeah. Exactly. Here's me trying to do a Martian noise to Michael Sheen. Who the heck do I think I am? How dare I? <laughs> uh, Michael, it's been an absolute yeah. joy. I've really loved our chat. I, I oh, hope we great. meet again on a football field someday and we both score hat-tricks from our respective positions once more. In our dreams, Andy. I think. <laughs> or certainly in mine, anyway. Yeah, but Definitely yeah, lovely. Thank you so much. Years ago. Uh, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. What a joy. All the very best to you. Thanks, Andy. Take care. All the best. Bye-bye. The Andy J Podcast. I love him. I really like Michael. I want to be his friend. (laughs) And I don't say that about every guest. In fact, Michael, he goes right up there onto my top five favourite guests since we started this show. And where are we at now? Episode 64. Lots of the episodes have got multiple celebrities. So we're looking at, you know, 150, 200 celebrity names we're talking about there. He's now in the top five of my favourite people. Hilarious. What a guy. What great company. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, listen, thank you so much for your company today. I really appreciate your care and attention. I really appreciate you listening to this show. Uh, Tomorrow, we will have a new episode for you with the marvellous Fern Britton, and she has an incredible, remarkable story to share with you. So I hope you'll make an appointment to listen to us then as well. Tell your friends about the show. Go well, walk tall, make someone smile. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.